Venomoth, Poliwag, Nidorino, Golduck, Hypersword, Mimer, Victory Bell, Boltrace, Zero King, Farfetch, Abra, Jigglypuff, Kingler, Rhyhorn, Clefable, Wigglytuff! Catch em, catch em, gotta catch em all, gotta catch em all, Pokemon! Welcome to the Swamp Flicks Podcast. My name is Brandon Lede. And I'm Cece Chapman. And we are recording in the middle of a summertime rainstorm in 7th Ward, New Orleans. Woo! Power might go out. Yeah, I'm kind of praying this can hold out for about 40 minutes. And uh, this is the podcast version of the movie review website, Swamp Flicks. And we have no theme to today's episode. We are just going to talk about the last two movies we saw in the theater. And just keep you all up to date on what we're watching. I noticed it takes me like a long time to actually post reviews from like when we actually see them in the theater to when they make it on the paper, uh, especially like stuff that's not like a new movie. I like really let it lapse. Yeah, I mean, but those are like backlog things. They're like if we're busy with like going to a film fest or Mardi Gras or, you know, just don't feel like it. We always have those to like lean on. Yeah. So this is like a pretty good way to just get reviews out quicker, I think. Yeah. Well, you and I both picked out one movie to go see this week at the theater, Mm -hmm. Uh, and I picked Detective Pikachu. Surprising choice for Brandon. I was really worried about this movie because I do not like Ryan Reynolds. At all. And the idea of him voicing Pikachu and making these like smart-ass jokes and calling people sweetie and doll as this like hard-boiled detective version of Pikachu... I would have much rather have just seen like a live action, quote unquote, it's a very CGI heavy movie, uh, like live action Pikachu just say his own name and be cute the way the original cartoon was, than have Ryan Reynolds like make jokes throughout it. And also, you don't care about Pokemon. No. You've, like, you've played Pokemon Go a good bit since it came out. Yeah, I, I played Pokemon Go pretty consistently from pretty much when it came out till relatively recently. I kind of have petered off. Uh, we went on vacation to California and I wanted to like, you know, be present during my vacation and not spend all my time catching them all. <laughs> um, and since then, I don't know. I'm just busy with stuff right now. I got my own thing going on. And I never played the Pokemon games when they were on Game Boy either. I never had the cards but I did watch the TV show pretty regularly. I liked the cartoon a lot. Yes. And I've reviewed a couple of the animated movies from around that time in the 90s uh, for the website. Yeah. Around the time when like my Pokemon fever was quite high, Brandon was like, let me participate in your interests. I will watch the movie versions. <laughs> and it was kind of funny, like those two movies, like the first one is about how battling Pokemon is cruel. Mm-hmm. And then the second one's about this guy who collects rare Pokemon types for himself and that's supposed to be selfish uh and it's just funny because the series is about catching pokemon and then training them for battle yep uh so they're like these really self-contradictory movies um and even this one the new movie is set in this like future tokyo type city where pokemon and humans are supposed to live in harmony and battling them and collecting them is supposed to be cruel and we're supposed to be past that and like living together and working jobs side by side and creating like a new environment for Pokemon and humans to work together. The plot of this is very much just Roger Rabbit with Pokemon instead of Looney Tunes. Mm -hmm. And Ryan Reynolds definitely makes a bunch of sex jokes that I think are like not fitting with the material. And I feel like it's kind of like apologizing for this like kawaii movie. Like it's like making it more palatable for adults when really adults... Like us, we would remember the TV show and want to be there yeah. just for the... We, we saw it uh, on a Thursday night. Uh, I had like prime time, you know, like at 7 p.m. And there were no children in the theater whatsoever. It was all just adults. Adults <laughs> who sang the theme song uh, because the movie chose not to start with it. Scandalous. They uh, sang along when the theme song did show up. Uh, you know, like very excited Pokemon super fans 
no children whatsoever. They, I, I agree that they were trying to, like, they were being apologetic, like, man, sorry I have to do this, like, childish kind of girly thing. Let me put in some sex jokes to make it cool for men. And it was like, you don't need to do that. Like, everybody's still excited about it. The cartoon for kids did not have sex jokes in it, and a lot of men liked it. I don't think anyone was in the door because Ryan Reynolds was involved. No. Yeah, I don't think, like, Deadpool helped sell this movie for anybody. If you were already excited about Pokemon, you'd, you'd already be there, you know? Yeah, you'd have to be a really big Deadpool fan to go into this if you, like, didn't care about Pokemon. I think, though, that... At least that helped sell it and get it greenlit, mm-hmm. which is important because the draw for the film was just going to the theater and looking at all these Pokemon in 3D rendering. We watched this movie in 3D with popcorn because it's a silly blockbuster film. That's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. <laughs> and we're AMC Stubbs members. <gasps> get your membership today. They're not paying me to say that, uh, but we get like rewards. So our popcorn's free. <laughs> yeah. And... A lot of people don't like 3D in general because it like makes the screen a little darker and it's a little distracting from the usual experience. But I really like it for these gimmick type, like over the top blockbuster films. Yeah, and it gives a lot of people headaches and I've never experienced a 3D movie headache. So I think the trick is sitting in the middle of the theater. The, be- the closer to the middle you sit, the better. Unfortunately, all the other adults who went to see this movie also knew that. So it was pretty tough actually getting middle seats on the Thursday night, which was kind of weird. Movie's been out for over a week. It was like a half-empty theater, but also very intimate because we were all like piled in the middle. Yeah. All that being said, these are all necessary evils mm-hmm. to get our eyes on these Pokemon characters, and they were so fucking cute. So fucking cute. <laughs> Even like the like lesser Pokemon, like the ones that like nobody wants, like Psyduck, and uh, oh, you know, the one that like wears the big crazy hat, and he's also a duck, and he's insane looking. He looks like he's from a swamp. But also in the game, I think he looks more like a pinata. So weird choice there. Uh, but yeah, like even they were adorable. It's like, oh, you guys, cute guys. Every single frame that did not have Pokemon in it, I was like, where's the Pokemon? I want more Pokemon. Again, just like Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Like we're not watching this to see like anyone other than Bob Hoskins and cartoon characters. Right. If there's a scene that doesn't have those in it, what's the point? It's like, why am I here? Why am I here? Not to say that anybody did a bad job. Like. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I didn't think a lot of the sex jokes landed with me, but I think Ryan Reynolds had some good one-liners in the film. He was sweet, and it made sense why they cast him yeah. um, for, like, plot reasons. Like, a lot of us wanted, like, Danny DeVito to be the character, and it really wouldn't have worked, honestly. I'm sorry to say it wouldn't have made sense. Because of some reveals later in the film? Yeah. Yeah. Like, we needed it to be someone relatively young. But Danny DeVito is the living Bob Hoskins, so yes. <laughs> that's probably why we He's were just, mentally casting Yeah, we him. were like, yeah, no, if, <laughs> if we're going to do Roger Rabbit again, we want Bob Hoskins. Oh, wait, he passed away, so Danny DeVito's next. Yeah. And it would have been funny. Also, I think just the idea of the discongruity between, like, a cute Pikachu and, like, the gravelly voice of an adult man like Danny DeVito, I think, was, like, another thing that, like was funny to us but i don't again i just don't think it would have worked because they're like he needed to be earnest he needed to be sweet and wistful and that's something that i feel like ryan reynolds could pull off a little easier see i think danny devito is adorable yes and i don't think ryan reynolds is adorable i think ryan reynolds thinks ryan reynolds is adorable that's yeah that's the problem uh, <laughs> he, he finds himself hilarious which i is what bothers he thinks me. he's hilarious and adorable so yes what if the movie were like a pairing of a gruff detective with a Pikachu sidekick. So, like, Pikachu is just themselves, and their part, 
like basically the original Roger Rabbit template because yeah. in this film, Justice Smith is like this young kid who has to team up with the Pokemon. And because the Pokemon is both so cute and the one that delivers the jokes, the kid is just kind of there. Yeah, he doesn't really have too much of a role, except maybe to fall in love and have a romantic side plot. With the girl from Blockers, whose name I don't know, but they were both fine. They were both fine, yeah. But all of this is just like obligatory structure, just so we have an excuse to look at Pokemon. Yeah. And I would have almost rather just like a 40 minute parade of like Pokemon characters across the screen. It's like, check out this one. Check out that one. This is all the abilities this one has. Ooh, look at him. Ooh, he's going to do a hydro pump. Cool. Do you remember when we were watching the animated ones? They had those like shorts beforehand that were like almost like silent short films of like the Pokemon just saying their own names and like playing and going on adventures. No, I remember the rap at the end that every time they give you another like 10 Pokemon names or 20 Pokemon names so you can like memorize them. I find those extremely helpful because I purposely mispronounce a lot of the names, but then I forget what the actual names are supposed to be pronounced like. I would have loved, though, if the movie ended on that same rap with the uh, Pokemon types just being reintroduced one more time. That might even bumped it up a half star for me. That, I think that would have been great. Like, just to remind you guys, like, because there's so many Pokemon now. There's an original 150 or 149, and now we're up to, like, the seventh generation or something. But then they would have had to get into stuff like there's God Pokemon, there's like an actual divine being, there's Whoa. interdimensional Pokemon that don't live in our timeline there's virtual Pokemon that only live, like, within the internet itself. I see why they left a bunch of Pokemon out, but they could have gone through, like, I don't know, the most popular ones are the ones that were heavily featured in the film. But the movie does start off, like, off the deep end of, like, Poke lore. Yeah, you have to already know what Pokemon are and how the mechanics work, because they just drop you into an actual scene of catching a Pokemon, and that's just your introduction. They start with, like, Mewtwo, which is, like, a whole thing that you kind of have to know about to recognize the significance of, and people are talking about the difference between water types and fire types, and if you're walking into this blind because you like Ryan Reynolds, you're going to be, like, scratching your head. But I don't know, like, if you didn't know any of that stuff... Like how Pokemon are caught and what the different types are. And you walked in completely blind. You would still have a detective story about a boy trying to find his father. And a Pikachu trying to find his detective partner. You'd still have a romantic subplot. You'd still have bad guys who are doing something bad. Yeah, it eventually meets you halfway with all that stuff. The narrative plot, you don't need to know anything about Pokemon. But it's really, just for every joke. We're all just there to look at the cute creatures. Yes. And they are very cute. They're very kawaii, yokai character designs and the world is this like future neon tokyo noir deal and it looks cool in conclusion brandon just likes pokemon just them and nothing else if you make another one of these just stuff the screen with more of them i want to see like every corner of the frame just teeming with poke creatures that's my summation of this film <laughs> kind of like uh i guess gremlins 2 Oh, yeah. I want the Gremlins 2 version of this that mm -hmm. just, like, completely throws... The human plot out. It's just, just Gremlins. Just and, goes like, full building. Looney Tunes yeah. with the Pokemon just sort of, like, running amok. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Actually, I just want all movies to be more like Gremlins 2 in general, though. Yes. <laughs> so Agreed. look forward to Detective Pikachu, the new batch, uh, whenever that comes out. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. you picked a film for us to go see yesterday as yes, well. Yes, I did. I... Wanted to go see Booksmart, but the sneak preview was on Friday, and that was the only day they were doing a sneak preview. So instead, we went to go see Longshot. This movie was heavily marketed to me on Instagram. So I knew what it was like months before Brandon did, because Instagram was just like, hey, you want to watch this trailer? Hey, you want to watch this trailer? 
And I did eventually watch the trailer, and it did look cute. So, uh, yeah, no, I was really excited about it. Um, Seth Rogen plays a very, like, passionate investigative journalist who is hired by his former babysitter, now Secretary of State, who is about to launch a presidential run, played by Charlize Theron. And the crush he had on her as a child when she was his babysitter has never really gone away. So a romance develops, but then he's just this schlubby guy with a beard who we're all supposed to agree is ugly. He's cute. I don't get what the the deal is. Yeah, he was perfectly cute. Like, sure, I guess he had a bit of a neck beard going on, but then he very quickly shaved it. But, you know, he also had a lot of poor fashion choices, which I feel like is like how they tried to like be like, yeah, he's ugly. Be like, no, he loves windbreakers a little too much. I mean, it's kind of that overgrown man child thing. And she's like an adult who has like her shit together. And he's just kind of like sloppy and selfish. Yeah. In a way that she isn't. Yeah. But I feel like a lot of the rhetoric in media about this thing, like the reviews of it have pointed out like how out of his league she is physically. And I think that's ridiculous. Yeah. No, like he's not like fat. Like, and if he was fat, that wouldn't be an issue either. He'd still be cute. He'd still be cute. Like they're not mutually exclusive. He's barrel chested, but he obviously like works out a good bit. I don't know. Well, I didn't buy it. To be fair, like all women are above all men's leagues. And anytime a woman has sex with us, it is an act of charity. <laughs> but beyond that, uh, they're fine. Like yeah. there's a good pairing. And as like a rom-com, their interpersonal relationship in this movie is very adorable yeah, and believable. Yeah, they have great chemistry. Yeah. Like amazing chemistry the whole time. 100% believable. They use a lot of prosthetic makeup for people in this film. Yeah, Andy Serkis plays this Rupert Murdoch stand in, and he's fucking terrifying to look oh, at. So scary. <laughs> uh, and then also, they make Fassbender. Skarsgård. Skarsgård. I always mess Alexander up. Skarsgard. Alexander Skarsgård. Alexander Skarsgård. They made him, like, really, like, awkward as, like, the Canadian Prime Minister. He's supposed to be, like, the Trudeau type, but instead, like,. He's got, like, weird, like, buck teeth almost, except he doesn't have buck teeth, but he, like, talks and smiles like he does. And his hair is just off. Like, he's so weird looking in this. They make him so unattractive by just, like, a couple small, like, tweaks and exaggerations of his already existing features. And he's an interesting counterpoint to the movie's, like, main goal, which is talking about how, as a woman in politics and in, like, the public spotlight, Shirley Theron always has to have her shit together. Always has to be perfect. She's Every working, single like, moment 22 hours a day to, like, project this image into the world. He also suffers a lot of the same scrutiny, though. Yeah. Hers is just slightly worse because she's a woman. Yeah. It's just compounded. Uh, like, yeah, that. like, uh, Skarsgård is told that his smile is off-putting, which, or his, uh, laugh is off-putting which it is it is so he has to come up with a they have to formulate a new laugh for him otherwise he's not allowed to laugh in public but at the same time like charlie's theron wakes up at 3 45 in the morning does interviews with the press while she is working out and pretty much every moment that you see her in the film where she's at rest at least for the first half of the film she's lifting weights while talking to people she's doing like calf pulls and like lifts um she is micro napping <laughs> which like, is uh napping with your eyes open while standing up yeah um <laughs> terrifying. You know, like, just like there's never a moment of rest for her and it, and it feels just exhausting like watching her constantly have to perform for people uh and even though she has all these accomplishments and all these degrees and is like a great negotiator and is pulling off all these treaties it's still her appearance that gets her any sort of press or positive attention so this movie's got a pretty like familiar rom-com structure and the mechanism for like them getting to know each other is once Seth Rogen is hired as her speechwriter, 
he's like asking her questions to get inside her head supposedly so that he can write speeches in her voice and that's a pretty good like getting to know you spending time together and like trading uh quips about the world uh and you know bonding sequences and all that stuff works really well it's all cute and funny and has great jokes built in what i find interesting is that this movie also tries to be political Mm -hmm. but rom-coms are inherently apolitical like they're not supposed to have a strong stance they're supposed to make you feel good through those interpersonal relationships and the like political stuff is supposed to be swept aside yeah. And even this movie has to fight against its own nature a little bit to pull it off. I would say Jenny Slate's uh, first comedy. Obvious Child. Obvious Child. I would say you know, that one had a very strong political standpoint, but only in one issue, not right. in any other issue. Well, I was going to bring that up as well. I think that's a good example, mm-hmm. but that one doesn't even feel like a formulaic rom-com in the yeah, way a lot of other movies like, do. It's like this indie drama kind of thing. But it's also playing with a lot of rom-com tropes as well. Yeah, she. I think she was trying to make a dialogue about rom-coms. Her her writer, um, I forgot I the name of the person she always writes with. Uh, My Ropesburg? apologies. No. Ugh. Anyways, I'm going to continue while you look it up on your phone. They wanted to make a rom-com, but they also wanted to make it interesting for themselves. So they didn't follow the normal plot. But still, it's boy meets girl, girl meets boy. They have sex. She gets pregnant. They decide to continue their relationship over the course of time where she's also deciding to get an abortion because she is not in a place in her life or this brand new relationship to have a child. The relationship thrives and blossoms despite this, which, you know, isn't the normal rom-com structure, but I guess maybe that's why the political stuff worked in it so well because they eschewed the normal structure. Yeah. Okay, so her name's Jillian Robespierre. <sighs> Robespierre, not Ropesburg, like I said. Uh, but also, okay, so that movie was foremost in my mind as well just because like abortion is the number one like political issue of the week this week and it's just on my mind in general reproductive justice for people who have uteruses yes and that movie has takes a very strong stance because usually when an abortion comes up in a film it's like a bad thing for everyone involved oh no it's so sad and tragic obvious child that kind of fixes a lot of problems yeah (laughs) and it's very rare for a movie to get greenlit where that's the solution Mm -hmm. the political issue at the center of Long shot was very carefully chosen. Yeah. It's they about chose not the to go with abortion. Yeah. Also, as Secretary of State, like, that would be weird if that was her big thing was abortion because that's not, like, a Secretary of State issue. Yeah. <laughs> okay, but the movie's very careful about, like, not pitting Democrats and Republicans against each other. Its main issue is saving the trees and saving the oceans and saving the bees, which... You know, if someone comes out deliberately against that, they're just automatically an asshole. So it's like a very safe topic. Trees, bees, and seas is like the like joking, like in-house name for the policy. But it's, you know, essentially if we don't fix these three things in the next 20 years, our species will go extinct. It's pretty hard to like (laughs) come out against those three things. Um, But also it's the kind of thing that a secretary of state would travel from country to country getting like sign-offs on environmental policies like and trade are like really the only two things we have in common with other countries or reasons we would have to travel to all these different exotic locales which they also indulge a lot in to like visit all these foreign dignitaries like if she was doing a domestic issue she would have no reason to do all of that stuff in service of the rom-com true and and basically when she does travel to those places what happens is she has to compromise on one of three of the things it's like oh if i want 
India on board, or I want this nasty Rupert Murdoch motherfucker on board. I have to sacrifice the trees, or I have to sacrifice the seas. Like, how do I get all three of these tenants of my platform across? And Seth Rogen has a lot less to lose because he has no respect for his own public image and hates compromise and like thinks that she's like losing herself and her passion in this like political quest. And I think the movie has a really weird line to toe there because it's against compromising your values, but also wants to like bridge the gap between political parties as well. I thought like the way they handled like the whole like issue of compromise was really beautiful in it because he's yelling at her, how dare you act like a politician? How dare you ever compromise on any issue? Like, why do you always have to like take things so easy? Like, just fight a little harder and she's like i'm not allowed to show emotion in public i'm not allowed to be angry i have to compromise like and she like really lays out this argument for why women in public have to do these things like why they have to capitulate because they really have no other choice on some of these issues and if she ever wants to be successful like these are the sacrifices she has to make not not as a politician but as a woman in power and i thought like you know like he's like yelling at her that she has like no morals and she's like you've never had to like fight for something i'm sorry but everything has always been you always have had that privilege and i've never had that privilege and of course she's still a beautiful white woman so she has still (laughs) quite a bit of privilege but i thought like him insisting that there is never a time when you can ever back down and her like explaining like, well, if I do this, then I'm fucked here. And if I don't do this, then I'm fucked here. Like and explaining like how power works in the movie, I thought was like a really like useful bit. I liked that part. I don't disagree. I just think that they started like these two extremes where he's like all non-compromising and she's like too compromising a little bit. And he pushes her to stick to her guns a little more ideologically. Yeah. And they meet closer towards the middle. That's really good within the story and works within the story, but if the movie's trying to be a political rom-com, uh, it's like asking him to soften his politics uh, a little bit and like be more accepting of young Republicans and be more accepting of like giving in here or there. And I don't know. There's just something kind of weird about it's like leftist politics uh, bucking up against this like apolitical genre. I don't think it's bad. I just think it's interesting for the template to try to do yeah. that a little bit. Yeah, there's like a speech that feels like really out of place where. Um... O'Shea Jackson Jr. Yeah, O'Shea Jackson Jr. um, gives a speech about how he is a Republican and how he's also a Christian. And it's, like, supposed to be seen as this betrayal. But, like, I don't know. He's this young, black, successful businessman who has been wearing a cross on a chain, uh, which you don't actually see until he pulls it out. But, like, the fact that Seth Rogen is, like, betrayed and surprised, it's like, y'all have been best friends for, like, how long and you never knew that about your best friend? Like, that's honestly, like kind of shitty of you yeah but he's also like pointing out that like liberals sometimes carry you know no matter how liberal you are no matter how anti-racist you are you still as a white person probably carry some racist ideas because you grew up in a racist society uh so like you know in seth's case he assumed that if a black person's wearing a cross but they're intelligent in a way that he's intelligent well then that just is a cultural thing and his friend's like that's fucking racist of you like just because, like, I don't, like, go to church every weekend and I'm not, like, constantly praying, that doesn't mean I'm not a Christian. It doesn't mean, like, just, like, being black means I'm automatically a Christian for cultural reasons. Like, you're, you know, Jewish for cultural reasons. Like, that's fucked up. And, you know, it is. Like, we all we all carry, like, our own weird prejudices that we need to work on and address. So I, I do like that it does poke back, you know, at 
liberals for like you also fuck up sometimes you also make stupid assumptions about people but it's also pushing them to accept someone for being republican and being conservative when those values are really fucked up in the 2010s yeah, like, like being a republican now and being republican in the 90s are not the same thing and they do they do try and like make it seem like republicanism hasn't changed it's just there's also now nazis and it's like you know i've seen a lot of like nationalist ideals get accepted by the gop so right now i really like it's not acceptable to me for a person to be part of the gop because they're like well you know we need to you know tighten our borders and we need to stop taking asylum it's like no we can't not take asylum like we had a very good reason why we started accepting asylum people it was world war ii and it was really fucked up i'm fine with the belief in small government but then of course when the government is like legislating what people can do in the bedroom or with their bodies like that's not small government anymore or like uh, recently here in louisiana a new orleans state representative tried to pass a bill saying that cities in louisiana could set their own minimum wage and the state was like no and then um in a win for small government recently um most school like boards in the state or at least in like you know certain parishes where there is money to be had they're allowed to waive property taxes on corporations and that would otherwise go to the school district in after east baton rouge which is a predominantly black school system that has been very underfunded for years and years and years they decided to not grant exxon a tax break they've already granted them a bunch of tax breaks um, but a new tax break on top of other tax breaks for new property they were building they decided not to grant which has never happened like nobody ever does that no one ever goes against like a big corporation like that here which is one of the reasons why we're so poor despite having like the most natural resources in the country and so as a result the state got up in arms and they decided to try and take away individual school districts ability to make that call they were like no from now on we need to not piss off the oil companies they'll leave and it's like but we have the oil they might leave for a while but eventually they have to come back because we have it (laughs) yes Sorry for that political screed. Actually, no, I'm not sorry. <laughs> I don't think you should be sorry, but I think we could go on and on about how cruel and like fucked up yeah. and greedy I'm just saying, those policies like, are. If you're for small government, you should be very up in arms right now at the GOP because they are violating a lot of small government tenants. It's totally true. They're not conservative anymore. And no. I think one of the more pointed political pieces I've read in recent few years was about the Trump administration and the title of the article was like, the cruelty is the point. Yeah. And like, that's something I think about often. It's like a lot of these policies go overboard like beyond like the obviously like money making corporate lobby interests a lot of them are just like against personal rights and like basically disenfranchising people and it seems pointlessly cruel and you keep asking yourself like what are they doing like why are they doing this and the cruelty is the point yeah so it's like a little hard to see someone get admonished in the film for not being willing to reach across the aisle uh, in this case and even the way they structure her political party in the film, it seems like she's a Democrat mm-hmm. Secretary of State, yes. but in a Republican presidency? Which it's would a little, be weird. It's a little, like, amorphous. There's no, like... Or, like, he's a Democrat president, but he's also got, like, no moral compass whatsoever. So, like, he's a fake Democrat. Like, he's a money Democrat. Like, yeah, he's this neoliberal... Does not care. He's a movie star or he wants to be a movie star. (laughs) That's actually why he decided to become president was to further his entertainment career. Uh, So he needs money and money comes from corporations. So he's like perfectly willing to cozy up to them. 
So I, I don't know. I feel like he came off as a Democrat, but like the '90s Democrat who like obviously did not give a shit. But it was not clearly defined. The, no, the they only never time... say whose party anyone is is when she like says like me, right. I am, and that's odd. Yeah, and I just think that makes for an interesting experiment, maybe for like to see how a rom com could be political but not too political in pissing off conservative people who might wander into this R-rated comedy with Seth Rogen in it and expect to see ecstasy and farts, which is also something it delivers. Yeah, yeah. lots of ecstasy and farts. It's great. <laughs> and it has a bunch of funny comedians in it, like Bob Odenkirk plays that president character. Claudio Doherty is in this film, which I find great. It's <laughs> she like was a great. Fox News fun. pundit. June Diane Raphael's in it a good bit. Apparently yeah, she... she's been getting famous on Frank and Grace recently. Very odd. Which, you know, that kind of makes sense for the demographic of our audience because we walked in and it was all older people. And, you know, I don't want to like knock the elderly or, you know, be biased against them. But this film is for people who are in like ages like 25 to 45. It's probably the prime demographic. So anyone over older than 45 would be kind of old for this movie, especially with its pop culture references to like the 90s and it's heavy drug use very casual heavy drug use but these people were probably 60s to 70s a large chunk of the audience maybe some 50s a lot of gray and white hair in this audience and they were fucking busting a gut like they were having a good raucous time like i don't know if this was like the group of all the stoner grandmas in like new orleans or all the frankie and grace fans but like they were just like having a fun ass time I was really proud of them and they, for having fun. They really liked the trailers for Good Boys and Booksmart, too, which I yeah. find hilarious because yeah. those movies are very raunchy looking. Very raunchy. Yeah. Well, okay. So what did you think of Longshot in general? Like, is it a movie you really enjoyed? Or I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's a good rom-com. I thought I would so watch too. it again. I like rom-coms uh, when I'm in the mood for them, and this one was fun. I did think they handled the political stuff very awkwardly because that part felt kind of wooden and it's writing compared to some of the more personal stuff. Yeah. But, like, the scenes where they're bonding are really cute. And, again, they have great chemistry. The scenery was really beautiful. There's, like, a quick, like, shift into a different genre for, like, 15 minutes. And they did that part really well. It, like, became, like, an action movie unexpectedly. Uh, and it was great. And this is from the really director well. of the interview. So it had some of that CGI, like, world travel action yeah, cinema like kind it, of stuff to it. It felt like the interview in parts, but also, like, a softer, sweeter thing. Yeah. That had better intentions, maybe. More humanity, I think. Yeah, more yeah. humanity. I agree. I think all the, like really detailed personal relationship stuff worked really well and that's like why it works as a rom-com and then the big picture political stuff maybe a little awkward but sort of by necessity because that does not fit in this genre box uh so it's gonna bust out at the seams a little bit a little bit and um it was interesting to see how that worked out i'm glad you brought up obvious child before i did because i was going to and that is an example of making that fit and making it work but that movie's not as formulaic as this one. This one is a formulaic, like, clearly it's a rom-com. Yeah, there's, there's like, uh, a scene where they're getting to know one another and he's interviewing her so that he can write better speeches for her. And it's set to, like, montage music. And yeah. it is a montage. It's, like, him asking her questions in Spain, then him asking her questions in Jakarta, and then him asking her questions in Dubai. And then, like, yeah. Over a really beautiful loop of a Cure song. I was thinking about a lot about that music cue after. A lot of the music's good in this. Yeah, the music's yeah. great. They choose really good musical cues. Um, a lot of heavy on the late 80s, early 90s stuff, because that's like when they came of age. Boys to Men makes a great appearance. Uh, they're a major <laughs> plot point in like the first like opening yeah. like uh, scenes. It was fun. Speaking of music, 
I do think because even though there's no after credit scene, mm-hmm. you should stay after Detective Pikachu because mm-hmm. late in the closing credits, there's a song produced by Pharrell featuring Little Uzi Vert that's mm-hmm. about Pokemon and about the movie you just watched, and yeah. it's really fun. Yeah, <laughs> but it doesn't like list all the Pokemon. It's not a summary rap song, which is also like a fun like closing credit like trope. It's not one of those. It doesn't summarize the plot for you, but it is really cute. It's cute. It's very cute. Both of these movies are cute. Yeah, they're cute. We watched a lot of cute movies lately. It's good comfort food for a hell week, uh, (laughs) which we kind of touched on a little bit. But Long Shot's the better film if you had to pick one of the two. But I enjoyed both of these even maybe a little more than I expected to, both cases. Yeah, but also reproductive justice for people who have uteruses. Yeah, look into it. (laughs) (laughs) Try to make it happen. Try to fund and like donate to the people who are making it happen, actually. Yeah. A lot of people who need support right now. Yeah. I mean, sure, we need likes and follows and five star reviews on iTunes, but like maybe instead just like give some money to the ACLU or, you know, people. I don't know. But also like give us a five star review if you have time. I mean, that'd be <laughs> cool too. We post a new movie review every day on Sonflix.com. <gasps> and we'll be back next week with a new episode on torture porn films with me and James. Very different from the cute movies we just discussed. Not cute. (laughs) Next week will not be cute. I promise that now. Diametrically opposed to cute. Yes. (laughs) And uh, we'll see you then. Bye, everybody. Bye. Xander, I need two cans of the Pamplemousse LaCroix. Uh I need that filled with Johnny Walker Blue and CBD oil. Do you want one?